Our Old Testament lesson today is from Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. And it can be found on page 87 in your pew Bibles. Now that they all match. Exodus 2, verses 1 through 15. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. And God, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. Pray that you would help us to hear it with ears that are ready to listen, to hear, understand, obey. I would pray that you would help us to hear your word with, um, with ready hearts. I would pray that you would speak to us this morning, that through your word and by your word, by your spirit, you would continue to change us into the people that you have created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. Is now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were, and watched, and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, What I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Turning then to our New Testament lesson. John chapter 21. Been looking at the resurrection appearances of Jesus after he had been raised from the dead. And we have... Uh, looking at these appearances in the book of John. And here we have the end of the book of John. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 25. It can be found on page 1687 in your pew Bibles. And there on the beach where Jesus has made breakfast for his disciples. And in verse 15 it says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, 
Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things, and he wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have, an, have room for the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We have been looking at the book of Acts recently. And specifically where we are at this point, is actually going through not just a series in the book of Acts, but a series in a particular sermon or speech in the book of Acts, and that is the speech that Stephen makes to the Sanhedrin. Stephen, someone who, though not uh, set aside as a speaker, is nonetheless uh, kind of thrust into that role, maybe unwillingly. And yet, he makes the most of the opportunity, and he preaches to the Sanhedrin, and he proclaims what is is going on and how the people who are getting him in trouble have missed it. And the part where we are today, he kind of goes all the way back to the Old Testament and starts telling the story. And so we're just kind of marching along with him, and we're hearing the story of the Old Testament as Peter, or not Peter, as Stephen points it out. Uh, to these to these people who are getting him in trouble. And this morning it is Acts 7, 17 through 29. Stephen has already explained uh, about Abraham and about Joseph. And now years later, Starting in verse 17. As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt had greatly increased. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our ancestors by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. At that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for by his family. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated 
in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, your brothers, why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. This is where we're going to stop. The good news is this is not the end of the story for Moses or anyone else. But this is a strange place to stop in the story of Moses. And we have to be careful as we look at this to see what it is that Stephen is explaining, what it is that he's trying to drive out, the point that he's getting across to the people who are accusing him of being against Moses, against the law, against the land, against the temple. And we see that Stephen has already been saying, look, God has been with his people even when they are not in the land, even before there has been the law and even before there was a temple. We've seen that already. Now, he brings Moses into this And he explains about Moses. And the way that he starts explaining about Moses is not what I would expect, anyway. If somebody were accusing you of being against Moses, I would think the way to explain, no, 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 I'm not against Moses, is by talking about all the good things you know about Moses. Say, no, 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 I'm a big Moses fan. Let me tell you, I'll give you all of his greatest hits, all his personal statistics of greatness. But he doesn't. When he brings Moses into it, he's like, yeah, yeah, he was no ordinary child. That was, that was very good. When he grew up, let me tell you, the first thing that we hear about Moses is not something great that he did, but something horrible that he did. And in fact, what, the first thing we see about Moses is how he got off track from the very beginning. And then, we'll see next week how God brought him back around again. But for now, all we have is this part of the story of Moses doing wrong. Not a great way to really defend yourself against those accusations of being anti-Moses, I guess. But that's where Stephen goes. But with good reason. Because the point that he's making to these people is they are doing the same thing that Moses did here. Not what he did later, but what he did here when he killed the Egyptian. That's the story of Moses sees somebody, sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, and he steps in and he kills him. And Stephen is making the point, what Moses did there was wrong. So we don't want to just be all pro-Moses all the time, because even Moses isn't perfect. So it's okay to have some parts where we say, no, that wasn't right. But he said at the same time, what these people are doing now is the same thing that Moses did there jumping in and trying to kill somebody because they're trying to act on behalf of God, trying to do things for God, instead of doing what God actually wants them to do. So first of all, 
Let's take a look at this, this story again of, of Moses and the Egyptian. Looking at the, the whole situation here again, we are several, many, many generations down the road from Joseph taking the people into Egypt. Now uh, they have become numerous. Now they have become slaves in Egypt. And they do need a deliverer. And they have been crying out that God would raise up somebody to bring them out of slavery. And we know that Moses is going to be that guy. However, what we also know is this isn't the way. When Moses steps in and kills this man, that is not the way that God had in mind for how to be the deliverer of these people. And so what we see Moses doing is trying to do do the wrong thing for all the right reasons. Does that make sense? Doing the wrong thing for all the right reasons. The Egyptian should not be beating the Hebrew. And Moses sees that, and he has kind of this righteous indignation where that is wrong and he needs to be stopped. But he tries to fight fire with fire. And it just makes it worse. And you say, well, come on now. I mean, it Surely he thought he was doing what was right. I mean, Stephen even says he thought that the people would realize that, he was, that God was using him to deliver them. No. Moses knew what he was doing was wrong. If you take a look at, at what it says in Exodus, looking this way and that and not seeing anyone, <laughs> then he kills the man and then he buries him in the sand. And then the next day when somebody else says something, he's like, oh no, what I've done must have become known. So he's trying to keep the whole thing secret because... He knows what he's doing is wrong. He's not doing um, God's things, God's ways. He's doing Moses' things, Moses' ways. That's the danger we all have. Um, there's a, a book I read recently that I... Very good. It's a very good book called The Way of the Dragon or The Way of the Lamb. And uh, talks about two paths being the way from above and the way from below. And let me just put those next to each other quickly, and then we'll see this play out in Scripture. He says, The ways of power are distinguished first by their source. The way from above is power from God. The way from above is embracing God's power and depending on him. All right, Stop and take a look at Moses again. Is that what he was doing here? No. To the next. Conversely, the way from below is a rejection of God's power and a dependence on ourselves in sinful autonomy. The way from, re- from below rejects abiding in God in favor of our own willpower, turning to the power of the self to make a difference in the world. This is what we see Moses doing here. He sees something wrong, and it's clearly wrong. But rather than depending on God, calling out to him and saying, what should we do in this situation? How can I partner with you in this? What do you want me to do here? Instead, Moses does the same thing that Adam and Eve do in the Garden of Eden. Which instead of saying, 
yes, we trust you, and we're going to do things your way. Instead, they say, we will be the, the ones who decide what's good and bad. We will be the ones who decide what's right and wrong. In fact, we want to be like God ourselves. We want to be in the place of God. And this is what Moses does. He sees the guy. He acts in his own, um, in his own sinfulness, even for good reason. But there's a way. When Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, it's not just that he is the way to life, which he is, but he also shows us the way to live. And those go together. And what we see here is Moses trying to reject the way to live and still get the way to life. It doesn't go that way. And this has been... um, going on for a long time. It still goes on. <laughs> Here's another quote from that book, and then I'm going to do that. Uh, it says, this is the strategy of the demonic, not to, atta- to attack the church directly, but to trick her into attacking herself, to convince her that the ends justify the means, and that she can wield the tools of darkness to make light. To trick the church into believing that we can wield the tools of darkness to make light light. It doesn't work that way. And it's one of those where if you kind of stop and reflect on it, you go, well, of course not. But boy, in the moment, <laughs> when you're in Moses' position and you see somebody who's clearly doing wrong and you have that boil up in you, you say, you know what? I don't have time to wait on God to do it his way. Something has to be done, and if he's not going to do it, I'm going to do it. And so Moses steps in, and he does what he shouldn't do. And then he has to spend the next 40 years out in the wilderness, away from Egypt, and the people of Egypt spent another 40 years in slavery and under oppression. So did Moses help? Not really. Not really. Best of intentions. But that wasn't the way of God. And in fact, how much uh, fighting and killing does Moses end up having to do when God does raise him up and bring the, as a leader to bring the people out of Egypt? Do you remember what happens when, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, you know, under the, the plagues, there's the death of the firstborn, a lot of people die. It's a pretty uh, violent, death-filled story. But then you get to that main battle. Do you remember the main battle? When the Egyptians are chasing the Hebrews after they've already come out of, uh, out of Egypt, and then they are there at the edge of the Red Sea, and they're trapped, and the Egyptians are coming along behind them with all their horses and chariots in all their power and might, and the people of uh, the Hebrews are freaking out, and they cry out to Moses and say, why did you bring us out into the, into the desert? Were there not enough graves in Egypt for us to die there? In other words, we see where this is going, and it's not going to be good. And do you remember Moses' reply? You don't need to worry. In fact, you don't need to do anything. You just need to be still. God is going to fight for you. You just need to watch and see the victory that he is going to bring about. And then God has Moses actually do something. And here's what he has to do. He has to go over to the edge of the Red Sea 
and hold his arms up. Well, that's weird. <laughs> that is not our way. Our way is, no, we've got to do something. We've got to grab a weapon. We've got to get in the fight. We've got to somehow... But our fight is different. And our main fight is, are we going to trust in God and his ways instead of taking control of the reins ourselves and doing it our way and then asking for him to bless that? That's not just Moses' fight way back when. That is our fight every day. Are we going to trust God and do things his way? Walk in the ways that he has put before us? Or are we going to take the reins ourselves? Are we going to grab the weapons of this world and try to fight fire with fire? So now Moses stands at the edge of the Red Sea and he holds his arms up. That's it. And God makes a way where there is no way. The people walk through, and then as they make it to the other side, Pharaoh says, that looks good to us too. We'll just follow you in. And it doesn't go so well. We see the same kind of thing, by the way, with Peter. We just read the story of Jesus reinstating Peter after he denied Jesus three times. I don't know if you remember what happened just before that. But it was Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane who really tried to stand up and defend Jesus. He's, he takes his stand. I'm on Jesus' side. But the way that he does it is by attacking one of the guards. Cuts off a guy's ear, servant of the high priest. And Jesus says, no, 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 not that. That's not what we're doing here. You follow me. I don't want you to get the impression that what this means is that there is never a time to take up arms. There certainly is. And in fact, if you read through the rest of the Old Testament, there are battles that God calls his people to where they are to take up arms. However, you see times where God says to go and to fight, and the people say, no, we're too scared. Or there are times where he says, don't go and fight, and they say, no, we think we're going to go do that. And so it's not just a matter of, do you take up arms or not? It's a matter of, do you trust God or not? When he says fight, do you go fight? When he says don't fight, can you restrain yourself and not fight? Jesus explaining in Mark chapter 7 that it's not food that makes somebody unclean. He says it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. It would have been really easy, really easy, to be a Hebrew slave, to see Moses kill one of your oppressing Egyptian slave drivers, and to say, that's our man. Let's rally behind him. He's the guy who's actually doing something about this. Come on. 
But what he's doing is what Jesus says is the evil that come from inside a person and defile. And that's not who we want to follow. We don't want to follow those who are going after those things. We saw this with Moses. We saw this with Peter. We also see this with one other person pretty clearly, and that is the, one of the people who's hearing the speech that Stephen is making. We'll see that a little bit later in Acts. It's a guy by the name of Saul, who later goes on to write most of the New Testament. But at this point, he is doing what he thinks should be done. And he is standing there giving approval to the people who end up killing Stephen after he makes his speech. This is why Stephen, when he starts talking about Moses, doesn't hit the highlights. But he says, you're following Moses all right, but you're following his dark side. You're following Moses in his human, evil, sinful self. You're not following the Moses who later repented and learned what it meant to trust in God and follow him in his ways. And so we see this in Saul. Moses, Peter, Saul, all three of them, we get to see their weakness and the ways they depend on themselves. But we also see in all three of them that that's not the end of their story. And I hope as we're going through this that we can each see ourselves in those and go, ugh, I do the same thing. Maybe I didn't kill somebody like Moses, but then. I know what Jesus is talking about, are these evils that come from inside. But with Moses and Peter and Saul, it's not the end of their story. That God continues to call to them and humbles them. And then he uses them. And they do amazing things amazing things but only after they come to realize what it means to serve him to walk with him and to do his things his ways there's a uh, book called With by Sky Jatani that we actually went through on Wednesday nights a couple of while back and it says there are kind of four main postures that people tend to have when it comes to relating with God. We have kind of life, we see life as being under God, or we see life as over God, or we see life as uh, getting things from God, or we see life, and this is the one for today, as for God. As that we're going to stand up and we're going to do things for him that he needs us to do. And we see that in Moses when he did that. I said, nope, that wasn't it. Out of the desert for 40 years. We see that with uh, Peter. who says, I'm going to stand up and do something. He says, nope, that's not it. And we see that with Saul, who's giving his approval to killing Christians and going uh, then even out of town to try to find more Christians that he can throw in prison or kill. And Jesus stops him and says, nope, that's not it. And this one is particularly... Um, challenging for us 
who have been raised in the church because it's really easy to say, to replace a relationship with God with, well, I'll just do things for him. I will figure out the kinds of things that I think he ought to be happy with, and I'll just go do those things without actually having a relationship with him where you find out what he is really happy with. (laughs) And you walk with him and do the things that he's actually calling you to do. So you replace it with something else. That is the, uh, the place we find ourselves. So, conclusion. If we are in that uh, position of either Moses or Peter or Saul, where we have done those things, understand it's not the end of the story. There is grace, and there's mercy, and there is forgiveness. If we are those who find ourselves continually struggling, because we want to fight fire with fire, that just seems like it makes so much more sense. Let's look to God and see how his ways are not our ways. That his ways are so much higher, so much better, and we would learn what it means to walk with him humbly and to trust him in everything. And for all of us, that we would also understand that all three of these people end up being used for amazing things and that this is what God wants for us. It's not that he's saying, don't do anything. He's saying, don't do what comes naturally. (laughs) Do what comes supernaturally. And there's only one way to do that, and that's through him, the relationship with him that comes through Jesus. May that be our story from here on out. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.